Hello and welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, recruiting, uh, even some other sports getting getting in there and starting to get into their seasons. Uh, now I'm Zach Shaw, your host, Steve Lorenz, and Isaiah Holt join me as always on the phone lines. Last week was basically all recruiting, uh, you know, talking signing day, 2018 class, fan frustration, the 2019 class, uh, just up and down uh, through through the roof recruiting. This week we're gonna we're gonna get back to the team sports. Uh, no no jaw dropping recruiting news this week. So we'll talk football and, and then a good amount of basketball and even a little hockey at the end. Obviously, if you're listening to this show, uh, you probably have heard by now that Michigan has hired a former Florida head coach, former Colorado State head coach, former Alabama offensive coordinator, Jim McElwain, to a presently unspecified role. Uh, it, it was a re- He's replacing Dan Enos, who is going to be a receivers coach and also had a potential coordinator uh, avenue ahead of him if if the if things went a certain way so what we've heard is one he's coming and two he probably wasn't gonna come just to be the wide receivers coach there probably is some sort of coordinator tag coming with it uh, but fellas and we'll start with uh, we can start with Isaiah I guess what was your first reaction to McElwain I guess the news yesterday, you know, because we'd heard rumblings and, and it was obviously on uh, 247sports.com, the michiganinsider.com, or you can check out all of our stories. But I guess what was your reaction to things becoming uh, a little bit more formal uh, on on Wednesday night? I mean, I, I really like the hire, to be honest. I mean, I, I, I find it hard not, not to like it. Uh, obviously, he's He's a guy who's done it at multiple levels, position coach, head coach. Obviously, he's going back to, you know, being more of a position flesh coordinator type. He's had success pretty much every step of the way. Uh, I mean, obviously, offensively, things didn't go as you, you would have hoped at Florida. That's what they really wanted. It became a really good defensive team, obviously. But uh, they didn't really, weren't really able to capitalize on, on things offensively, but to me, that was a little bit more of an indictment of uh, of Doug Nussmeyer, who, you know, he filled it. He filled it a similar offense at Michigan for his one year, and kind of showed an incapability of of utilizing, you know, talent in a way that you would think. Uh, I look at Devin Gardner when he was at Michigan, being used, you know, even more so as a uh, pocket passer than he was under Al Borges, uh, as kind of uh, the the prime reason why I was never really that big on Nussmeyer. I thought McIlwain deserved another year, to be honest, uh, at Florida, just with a different offensive coordinator. I mean, he's, he's shown offensively that he can, he can get you to another level. Uh, he did so at Alabama, getting, uh, bringing them from, you know, a middle of the pack offense to a, a top, uh, top 25, top 35, depending on the year offense. I know people thought they were kind of boring a lot of the time with uh, McElroy and uh, AJ McCarron, but they were still able to, to field a pretty pretty solid offense, both run and pass, particularly under uh, McCarron uh, in his final year. And we obviously we don't know yet what he's going to be at Michigan. 
you can only surmise that he'll definitely you know, definitely have a lot more responsibility than wide receivers coach. That was what we expected as well when Enos was temporarily hired. But uh, to me, it, it, it's a great hire because the guy that that know, knows how to do a lot of things, he, he's good at it, and he, you know he'll be able to focus on specifically, you know, working with whatever you know whatever unit or even the whole, you know, offense rather than trying to, to work with the whole team. And I, I think it, it's really about as good as you're going to be able to get for that 10th assistant, especially when you consider what we were looking at earlier in uh, about a year ago when we were thinking about what, uh, who they were going to bring. We were talking about some of the graduate assistance types uh, being promoted. I think this is, this is much, much better than that. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm in that boat where it's like you know the people who are down on it. I think, I mean, first of all, he was he, he wasn't fired from Florida for being three and four, although that doesn't help. It was that he was claiming that there were death threats out there when there there weren't, and I think that really pissed a lot of fans off. And so he has he has flaws. I, you know the the inability to get Florida's offense kind of outside the top. 110 in three seasons is is a is a knock but he has a track record at Colorado State and he has a track record at Alabama and as you kind of noted you know not a lot of 10th assistants are going to move the needle uh like like this one and so Steve you did a you did a VIP story yesterday about the recruiting impact but I guess from what you've heard and and obviously from what you know having followed McIlwain and, and tracked his career, I guess, what was your reaction? And, and I guess, is there anything anything extra that we don't even know about that he might be able to add, uh, you know, having as you having gone from gone up to being a power level high, you know, head coach now being kind of an assistant coordinator blend? I guess, what were your thoughts? Uh, I think if you're not in favor of this hire, I think you're just thinking you're overthinking things. Um, you know, it, it's funny that Nussmeyer's brought up like, you know, Nussmeyer is the way I look at Nussmeyer's tenure at Michigan, the same way I look at what Brady Hoke had to go through the last two years, which was latch onto a failing tent, failing regime at a high level program and be asked to completely fix something. Uh, it was almost never going to work out for Doug Nussmeyer at Michigan. I mean, uh, the, the the ship was already sinking with Hoke, uh, you know, and then you go to Florida. When's the last time Florida had like a, not even a good quarterback, an average level quarterback. Yeah. It was uh, probably Tebow. Yeah. It's hard to like have a good, we, you see what happened with Michigan this year as a perfect example of why you need good quarterback play to have a functional offense uh, at any level let alone, you know, a high-level college program. So uh, that's kind of with McIlwain. It's like, you know, Florida's offenses weren't very good, but they never had even some, something that resembled a good quarterback there. Uh, trying to teach, you know, Felipe Franks was a guy, you know, started the game, the opener against Michigan last year, is a guy that I think has the tools to eventually be good, but was a probably comparable to, like, what Milton, you know, as far as, like, a guy Yeah, he who, didn't have the high school... It's not like he was throwing four thousand yards in high school. He was like kind of like a camp superstar, right? 
Yeah, no, he was. And, and a guy that you could see flashes in, but not an instant impact type guy. You know, a guy that had a ways, little ways to go under the right coaching. You know, he gets one year. You know, McElwain gets one year with him when, it's, when really he was probably still too raw. I mean, you know, they had to take a flyer on Malik Zaire. I mean, that's how desperate Florida was for quarterback play last year. So, um, you know, that's why it's hard to it's, – it's hard to really know uh, how effective or what it meant as far as, like, his ability to coach. I mean, you look at – we know what Harbaugh has done at the quarterback position, and you look at last year, uh, you know, we've – gotten to the point now with the the whole torch and pit or uh, was it pitch fork and torch yeah torch and pitchfork whatever those people are like the poor quarterback play has seemingly been forgotten in favor of bad play calling by drevno and hamilton or how you know whoever people want to spin it or whoever people want to use for their scapegoat when really to me you turn on the game, you watch it. There's zero doubt that poor quarterback play is what hurt Michigan more than any single thing this season. So, uh, you know, and that's what I said. It's it's too it's difficult to gauge McIlwain based on the numbers that the Florida offense put up because he never had a quarterback that could even sniff AJ McCarron at Alabama uh, or any of the others he had before then. So, yeah, I think people are overthinking it way too much. Uh, if they're down on this hire, I mean, you're again, you're. I know people try to downplay that they won two SEC East, SEC East titles. The SEC East is garbage, but they still won them. I mean, he was he was on his way to a really successful tenure there until last year. So, um, you know, all in all, you look at Harbaugh's hires assistant wise, and most of them have been really, really strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, especially mostly. To, I mean, it'd be we'd be exaggerate you know mostly on the defensive side of the ball especially you know but still offensively uh you know they've made some good hires there too so i'm 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 in favor of it too like i said if you're down on it i think you're thinking about things a little bit too much yeah and we'll talk about the full assistant shuffling that went on this winter uh in a moment but you know when when i we field questions on twitter you can always tweet at me if you have a question and i'll try to save it uh, for the next podcast that we do, although they come Thursday. So, you know, I'll ask questions on either Wednesday or Thursday morning. But we got a few questions. Uh, Chad Smeaton wants us to break down McElwain's track record. Horrible offense at Florida. Good offenses at Colorado State and Bama. But some people, but he was wondering if other assistants were, were a bigger part of that. Someone said, Adam Kasel said, how do you see this affecting Pep and Drevno's uh, roles? And BC said, how cautious are head coaches about bringing in assistant coaches, giving them access to their program, knowing they'll probably be leaving for another program before long. So, uh, not quite sure. You know, those are those are kind of uh, tough questions to answer directly, but uh, it does bring up a broader question. What factors go into, in your eyes, should fans be looking at as far as Will this guy be a good coach? Because, you know, I, we had a caller on a on Inside the Huddle today that said, you know, they wanted someone younger that whose career was ascending versus someone who has to, who's kind of taken a demotion. Um, but at the same time, you know, who wants to be motivated to get back to things sooner? Do you want coaches that are here for the long haul? Do you want coaches that are here uh, as a pit stop before they 
take a head coaching job somewhere. So I'm curious about what you guys think in in assistant coach valuations. You know, Steve, I know you just mentioned. You know, I think fans fans may be overthinking this. I think more fans know what Colorado State's offenses were ranked two year or you know five years ago than than should be. You know, there's too many too many people that are Michigan fans that are that are digging a little too far into every single thing because the bottom line is this guy's been hired by a lot of people. Uh, he's won a lot of games, won a couple titles, and so I guess what what metrics go into your decision for whether a hire is a good hire or not? I mean, here's the, like I, I think now. I think they, so I was torn on it because there's a big part of me that thought maybe it should be another recruiting aimed hire. I don't necessarily think that's McIlwain, but again, then you look at now you add Al Washington, you add Sharon Moore, you have two more, what I think are going to be really, really effective recruiters. You add that into Partridge, Jay Harbaugh, Greg Madison, even Don Brown as guys who, you know, are, are, very effective recruiters. We've written Pep Hamilton's name more in the last three months recruiting wise than we did the whole calendar year before that. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, there might be some more motivation going on there. However you want to say it. I laughed at the question because this guy pretty much tried to make it sound like McIlwain has never accomplished anything in his career (laughs) and that he made that he got to where he was by like luck or by fooling people or something. I mean, Horrible offenses at Florida, good offenses at Colorado State and Alabama, but I've heard from insiders it was more to do with the other coaches around him. Like so when he did well, it wasn't because of him, but when his team did badly, it was all on it was all on his shoulders. Right. Uh yeah. Well that's how it no, goes, you know. <laughs> oh, of course it is. It's how it always goes. Uh, classic, I mean what we were just talking about with overthinking. Uh, because I don't think McElwain was a recruiting driven hire. I, I think it was simply the best the best available assistant out there. Uh we'll see how we'll see what his exact role is. Like Isaiah had mentioned, he might probably is gonna do something very similar to what Enos was gonna do anyway, right? And that hire for the most part seemed to be well received, but this one for some reason seems to have a little bit more of a mixed reaction when it's very feasible, yeah, that the that their roles will be exactly the same. So um you know that's the way. That's what I think. If it's it's it can be twofold, threefold technically. You know, it could be a guy who's re- a recruiting driven hire, could be a guy who's straight a coach st- coaching hire, like a guy that's primarily going to coach, will recruit, but is not being hired because of his acumen on the trail. And then of course the best case scenario is a guy that can do both, right? So um, I would put McElwain more in the second category as a guy, probably going to be most effective as a coach. Based on you know we posted yesterday, I I think he's going to be a complete wild card recruiting wise. Like I have no idea what to expect with Alabama not asking much of their offensive coordinators on the recruiting trail. And as the head coach at Florida, you're you only have so much of an impact, right? Uh, recruiting a lot of times falls on the assistant coaches, so it's kind of like there's not a lot out there on him as far as how good of a recruiter he'd be day in and day out, right? So. It'll be that's you know as primarily a recruiting person, that's what I'm most interested to see. But but I know people are down on the word meritocracy because they're out for blood right now. But I, <laughs> I still feel like 
yeah, no, but I still feel like Harbaugh, you know, basically wanted to go out and get the best guy. You know, the same way he did with Don Brown. I mean, that's pretty much exactly what he said. He didn't know anything about Don Brown when he made that hire. Uh, Jed Fish, the same thing. He didn't, you know, he had never even met Jed Fish before he made that hire. You know, so, yeah, that's that's what I feel like. Yeah, well, and there's also this element of, like, everyone, it's like you get hired, it's like you, they immediately scour the 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 Wikipedia page. You know, they're the Wikipedia warriors who are like, oh, well, he did this, this, and this. I mean, you go back and you look at, like, Michigan's best assistants in history. Um, his name's escaping me right now, but the the really good, what, is it Eric Campbell, the receiver's coach, the old receiver's coach? Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Sue Campbell. Sue Campbell. Yeah. He was the defensive back at Michigan. It's not like he was like, you know, Alabama's receivers coach or, or whatever. Like, you know, you can go down the list and it's like Lloyd Carr was a, you know, he was a, he was a unspecified assistant at what Eastern Michigan, then Syracuse. So it's, you know, and I think he did one year at West Virginia as a defensive backs coach. I mean, you know, it's, these qualifications aren't everything. Uh, so I get Isaiah, I guess what, what goes into your, into your and what how can you tell if a hire is a good hire can you tell i mean are there factors that you look at or is it really just you just gotta kind of roll with whatever the coaches decide to roll with oh i do i do look at that you know the experience and what the experience was generally if someone's been kind of like how i said before someone's been a head coach you know then you kind of have the feeling that they're going to excel at you know, at a lower level, just because they now they're able to kind of work in a little bit more of a dedicated fashion rather than acting kind of as a CEO, like a head coach would. Uh, it's kind of why I, I somewhat scoff at the, uh, like like you mentioned on the radio, that someone was saying they'd rather have an up-and-comer than someone who's been a head coach before that, you know, maybe didn't hack it. But then you, you, look, at, you look at a lot of the cases at Ohio State or Alabama, and a lot of times their successful coordinators or position guys are exactly what McIlwain is. You know, look at, look at Ohio State on either side of the ball, Greg Schiano and Kevin Wilson. Uh, and then, yeah, they have a couple up-and-coming guys kind of behind them that are working with them, but that's no different really than what Michigan really has had and does have with, you know, you look at on the offensive side, Jay Harbaugh, Sharon Moore, uh, defensive side, uh, you know, at Washington, you know, you had Brian Smith last year. So it's really no different. You know, Alabama has been known to, to usually go out and get a guy, even if it's for, for a minute, look at Lane Kiffin. Everyone thought that that was a terrible hire at the moment, the moment that happened just for the sake of Kiffin was seemed kind of like a wild card, really kind of didn't seem like he had his stuff together and came back and proved his mettle. And now, you know, now he's at the Florida Atlantic and weirdly you see, you know, anytime you post anything about Drevno on Twitter, you get about seven different replies saying, why not? Why does Michigan not hire Lane Kiffin as offensive coordinator as if he's not <laughs> the head coach of a program already? Right. So it's, you know, and then the Alabama did the same thing with Steve Sharkeesian, you know, and, you know, he got, got the, the gig with Atlanta. So it's, to, to me, like usually when you bring in a guy that, that has that level of expertise, it's kind of like Greg Madison taking the step back from uh, defensive coordinator to defensive line coach. Hmm, yeah. it's, it, it, a 
lot of times that you know you, you you're able to see a little bit more of their abilities as as a coach and usually these people didn't rise to the level of head coach just because they were surrounded by good people usually it's because they innately have that ability to uh to be a good coach i'm not saying that that it's the be all end all or anything like that i'm not saying like well that's you know that factor proves that this is going to be a great hire but usually it's a pretty good indicator from the things that i've seen yeah yeah, and I think, I, by the way, I, I, I should clarify, Campbell played a season of wide receiver while he was at Michigan. He was kind of like a, a triple threat. He did some special teams, but mostly was known for his defense. Then he was a running backs coach for Ball State and Syracuse, and then he was in charge of Michigan's wide receivers from 1995 to 2007. Uh, and if you want to go look at Michigan's NFL-produced wide receivers throughout school history a lot of them came in that 12-year span so anyway my point with that was not you know anything in particular at Campbell it's just a note that sometimes you know it's not like every guy is going to come in with two rings and on their hand and and everything and that I guess that leads more into our other assistants because Michigan hired if by my count four four new assistants if you count Ben Herbert the strength and conditioning coach uh, he was at Wisconsin. He was at Arkansas. And then you have Al Washington, who was at Boston College, and then Cincinnati. And then Sharon Moore, who was at Louisville, kind of getting his feet wet into coaching, and then was rising through the ranks at Central Michigan. And then, of course, McIlwain. So I'm curious what you guys think of the overall hires. I think we've we've said it a few times that, you know, they got a couple guys who were recruiting grinders in Moore and Washington. And you, we get, you know, Michigan got a couple guys who, you know, Ben Herbert might just be, you know, it, you know, he's going to spend more time with the players than a lot of assistants. So his his Wisconsin Arkansas pedigree uh, might be a little bit more relevant. And then McIlwain, as personally, I kind of see him as a wild card. I, I think, you know. I think he's a better on-paper option than most, just about any one you could have gotten for a tenth assistant. And I think I think he's a little bit closer because you know we saw Cam Cameron, we saw Bob McAdoo, uh, you know we're interviewed a couple other guys. I really think McElwain's probably closer to what Michigan needs than than a true wild card like one of those two would have been. So curious what you guys think of of the hires and then also. Keeping in mind that uh, they they also move Partridge from linebackers to safeties, uh, they still some un, undefined roles on offense. You could probably throw Roy Roundtree into that as a wide receiver grad assistant. Maybe that's you know curious what you think of that. Did they address the needs they needed to address this off season? Was it enough change? Was it too much change? Uh, we can start with Isaiah this time. I guess your overall thoughts on the entire uh, shuffling and then the final result. Well, it'll it'll be tough to really truly say until we we kind of see what happens with how they decide to fit McElwain in and how he fits in with the whole you know Drevno and Hamilton grouping. Um, and that remains to be seen, you know. So that that makes it a little hard to say overall, you know, how it is. But I mean, I think Michigan got better in a lot of ways, uh, especially especially with recruiting. Um, 
you know, you're 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 at you added you added three guys when you know last year to take the place of two essentially, and two of the three are significant you know upgrades from a recruiting perspective. Brian Smith and uh, Greg Fry weren't exactly known for their recruiting prowess, so that that helps you out a lot. Uh, on one hand, uh, you do you do with with guys like Al Washington and Sharon Moore. You also you also do get guys that are that are younger and hungrier and trying to prove themselves. Uh, kind of, kind of not too different than you know. I know that uh, not too different from Brian Smith. I know Greg Fry was a little bit older and everything, but you know, not terribly different from from, from them in that sense that they're trying to grow their careers. They're trying to get better, and then just. You know, with a guy of McIlwain's experience, I mean, that's probably there. There really probably isn't a much better. You know, I, I definitely like it more than Enos personally, but it's it. You know, there, there really weren't aren't a lot of candidates out there that could have made that kind of splash, especially for a tenth assistant. Uh, so, to, I mean, to me, it, I think it's. I think it was just a great overall off season for Michigan. Uh, especially, you know, get you know, focusing specifically with two of those guys on on the offensive side of the ball where they clearly need it. I hear I've seen some people say that you know, well, it's too many cooks in the kitchen. I don't see any evidence of that. They we're going to need coaches regardless, so that's kind of a ridiculous take uh, saying that. Well, you know, just because they hired yet another offensive coach, it's too many cooks in the kitchen. Wait, yeah, like, what did they say? Like, they should just, there should just be, like, two offensive assistants, or they should be less qualified? I, and maybe it, more special, I don't know. Keep going. I, it's just, yeah, I know, it's, it's kind of flabbergasting. I, I mean, I understand if you think, like, you know, the play calling thing was too many cooks in the kitchen and, and everything, but the, to me, that was, like Steve kind of mentioned earlier, that really wasn't it either. Harbaugh had this play calling thing the way he he's had it this past year. He's had it that way ever since he was a head coach from what I was told. So yeah, we've been told the same saying, stuff. Know, I mean, it's not, so you're basically saying this because they had one year where maybe it didn't look very, very good that suddenly it was terrible. Like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> so I, overall, I just think, I think Michigan did a pretty good job. I don't know what else, what better you could have really asked them to, to do or to get, you know, who else they would get that would make this uh, a much better off season. I mean, it, it, it's about as stellar as, as you can get as far as, you know, bringing in coaches that all pretty much seem upgrades across the board. Steve, what do you think? Uh, I mean, they needed to get better on the recruiting trail and they did that. <clears throat> I mean, to me, that was the biggest thing was getting, you know, filling the staff with a few more aggressive recruiters. Uh, and again, you know, we've kind of talked a lot now about more and Washington being guys that can, you know, fulfill those roles, especially. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think overall, I think it was a, a plus. I think the Enos McElwain is pretty much a wash. Uh, Cause I do think Dan Enos is a good assistant coach would have been a good assistant coach at Michigan. Uh, and I think McElwain will be a benefit as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I do think, you know, the cooks in the kitchen comment, I do think that stems from the play calling. I don't think it's about having too many good or qualified <laughs> assistants on your staff. I mean, I think it was more, I think people that believe say that, I think it's more about the play calling and, and whether or not they're right or not. I don't agree like you guys, but um, 
I can see where Michigan's process of calling plays would kind of be kind of confusing to, you know, or you'd think that nobody else does it that way that I can think of. Right. So it, you know, it, and that's what happens when you go eight and five is people find the things that maybe they do differently than others and start to pick it apart and say, well, it's gotta be this because nobody else does it like that. So, you know, it's gotta be that. So, yeah, I, you know, you know what I mean? So I don't anticipate, but I don't, you know, I assume he's going to keep things relatively the same next season, whether whatever McIlwain's role is, whatever uh, Hamilton Drevno's roles are next season. So, um, yeah, I think they, I think they did fine again to get a SEC head coach as your 10th assistant. Um, I, I, you know, who really had one bad season. It's not like, yeah, like Florida sucked. Nineteen and eight in his first two years. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, and Grant, I know that the offense, but we talked about that already. Where again, they had the same issue that Michigan had this last season, except they had it for three seasons where they didn't have a quarterback. So, um, you know, as a tenth assistant, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know how people can be so down on it, but. Um, well, I, I feel hopefully. like this one wasn't quite as much torture. I think there was. I think there's honestly like five people on Twitter. Who just everything Michigan does is wrong until yeah you're right they they go what, ten and zero yeah seventy five twenty five positive maybe yeah maybe I'm, maybe my connotation is a little too negative on the general con- consensus but uh, I guess yeah I guess if we did focus on what the negative the what negative people say about it all the time we'd be here for like weeks so. right. Well, because um, I I know I, one one person on on the Michigan beat did a poll and said if if Jim McElwain were named offensive coordinator, would that meet your nod of approval? And I think it was about 71% said yes. That's fair. Then. And that's Which that's is, with OC yeah. rights, you know, versus just what we right. have now. Right. So well, again, he may, I mean, we don't, again, it's, a, it's still up in the air as far as how they are going to shake it out. So, which again, is kind of one of those things where it, it makes it, it does make it a little difficult to opine given that we don't know exactly, you know, we can assume that it'd be the same role that Enos was going to fulfill, but we don't know that for a hundred percent. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess my thought, cause like, like the big debate was, I think back a month ago was how much does Michigan need to blow this up? You know, how many assistants need to go? Because in January, you know, forget, forget the crazy fans. Cause they wanted everyone gone, including Harbaugh. But, but I think there was a growing idea that Michigan's offense probably needed uh, a fresh start. And and it's kind of a weird predicament. You know, maybe not a predicament. Maybe that's that's making it sound too dramatic. But it's a situation where I think everyone is on board that the offense needs to be different, you know, wholly different than it was against South Carolina. But it's going to have... M- very much the same staff and and so I, I I agree with you guys you know I think getting better on the recruiting trail and I think keeping things relatively similar you know because if it was like a radically different you know if they if they went and got five new offensive assistants you know you're probably hurting yourself as if you're Michigan looking into next season but Curious, uh, curious to see, I guess, how they finish shuffling. Because if, if Drev knows, you know, only the offensive line, you know, that, that changes things. Because right now they don't have an offensive line only head coach. You know, right now it's Drevno who's splitting deals with other stuff. I'm curious, 
curious to see what they do with receivers. You know, is is that does McIlwain actually on a day to day basis operate with the receivers, or is that or do they expand Sharon Moore's role, or do they give Sharon more tackles? So I think there's some stuff to to sort out. I I'm grow I'm increasingly uh, I guess. You know, I, I can in- increasingly see this point of view where they want to keep things the same, right? Because Michigan State did that after they went three and nine, and it turned out just fine because they had players who were growing with the exact same thing. I think it gave a little bit more of a semblance of it's good. Things are going to be okay. You know, the players aren't panicking because they they lose a couple extra games, and I think that's that's probably something you know with these sophomores and these freshmen that Michigan has. You probably do want to create a semblance of normalcy. You don't want them to think eight and five is normal if you're Jim Harbaugh, but you don't. You also don't want them to think that you know the, they they are these gigantic screw ups that are ruining the program either. Because you know that sort of happened in 2013, 2014, and it just created a lot of a lot of locker room tension and a lot of losses. So anyway, can if I anything, two, can I say two? Can I say two things? Yeah, real yeah, quick? sure. There's two things that I've been thinking a lot about lately because you think about things sometimes. Some and, of us do. You know, you know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, it's weird. I, I really think the bowl game is the bowl game is the outlier. As you know, because if let's just say Michigan's season had ended uh, against Ohio State, right? I don't feel like the prevalent feeling coming out of that game was that the coaches let yeah. them down. I would agree with that. Yeah. Because I mean, it's, I'm sorry, but if Wilton Spate stays healthy and starts that game, I have almost zero doubt that Michigan wins. I mean, just you could, there were probably five or six major missed opportunities that Michigan had in that game offensively where the perfect play was called and everyone else did their job except for the quarterback. Um, so it's kind of odd, you know, because then, but that being said, then the, the, the bowl game was kind of bizarre, you know, in that regard, because, you know, I don't know the offensive line particularly played too poorly. Uh, but again, was it Peter? Was it all on Peters? I I just, I don't know, you know, and then kind of going back to blame, you know, the more I think about it too, we know that Harbaugh is the one that makes the final call on these play on, on, you know, the play that's called or whatever the mm-hmm. system they run. you know, Tim Drevno was only responsible for interior linemen last year with Greg Fry being tackles and tight ends. You could argue that, you know, I don't Mason Cole. Uh, I don't know. I mean, he had, I don't think he had, I don't think he played as well as senior as he did his junior year. Um, well, he was playing at a, at a position he was worse right. at, you know, and right. for, exactly. for Greg Fry, by the way, we had heard in press, you know, from the players that both coaches were in charge of both. And I think, oh. I think I was, I mean, you know, I was looking at it and like given the hand that they were kind of dealt with the offensive linemen, not quite having enough that were game ready. I actually don't think the offensive line development was like, if, if they had kept Fry for another year, I think I would have been rather you know i i would have looked at that and said eh, i guess that makes sense i don't know no, i agree well that's what i mean is i think you know on wenu was played really well when he was healthy yeah ruiz once ruiz got his feet wet ruiz was a, a plus 
Steven Spinellis looked great against South Carolina. Ben Bredesen, who I feel like there's always like it's it's one side or the other with Bredesen. I know I, I've posted it ten times. The staff loves him. Like they think he's elite. You know, so it's hard to like because his his uh you know the PFF grades for Bredesen were like up and down. Yeah, I was um, gonna say they were they were they ended up being about good, you know, or so so. Right. But yeah, it's right. There were some games where it was just like he couldn't apparently couldn't do anything. Right, you know, and so uh, it's I, I just you know I I guess the more I've thought about it, strictly from a coaching standpoint, I just I think Drevno maybe a little bit unfairly uh, maligned, uh, you know, because I think you could tangibly see that the young players up front were getting a lot better uh, by the end of the season. You know, like I said, even against South Carolina, I thought for the most part the offensive line was not the issue in that game. I mean, they had plenty of time to throw the football. Uh, You know, I just thought maybe the play calling in that game let him – I just – I just again, I I don't know. I just thought it was it was just kind of interesting because, you know, what should one dud, you know, change perspective so much? Because I if you're if if you I look at it the way I try to, I thought there were a ton of positives coming out of the Ohio State game. Yeah, um, it'd be curious. It to, to lo- oh, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say I know if you're a fan, it sucks to lose Ohio State. Blah blah blah. We've been down that road now a lot, but again, I just. Even average quarterback play wins that game for Michigan. They were winning that game when their quarterback was playing at an average level. They were up by two touchdowns. Uh, you know, you get average quarterback play, you win that game. You know, I, I just, I, I just feel like the script was kind of flipped as far as what the primary reasons why Michigan's offense was so bad uh, by the end of the season. And it's just, I. I think it's. I always. I think it's number one, and I, this is, has not changed for. I just far and away quarterback play, you know. So um, that's why I think it's okay to stick with these guys. You know, Harbaugh's not an idiot. He's not going to give in to just you know moron and Twitter pressure. You know, <laughs> so um, you know, so he because he knows they're they're in the they're in the office every day, right? So I mean, and then I know there's pressure. I just I don't know. I just it's funny to me how the script kind of flipped a little bit there. yeah well it, it, it did flip for me a little bit because I'm looking at that team and it's like they had you know a month to put to put this together and and right. so we oh. can go on and on because you're right every after each game it seemed like there was something different that was the primary thought among the among the passionate we'll call them passionate to be nice Michigan fans you know it's like Michigan State uh, people weren't quite done with, you know, maybe they were done with the corn, maybe they weren't, but some people had thoughts about some things. And it's like after the Penn State loss, people were thinking about something completely different. And, you know, and after after the Wisconsin loss, Ohio State and South Carolina, it's like each one had something else that fans seemed to, you know, get riled up the most about. Uh, but we got to move on. Uh, happy to, you know, if you want us to talk about that next week. Ask the questions uh, when I when I field the questions underscore Zach Shaw on Twitter. Uh, you can tweet at me anytime. But ESPN's FPI Football Power Index came out yesterday, and and I know people hate on you know the kind of strange numbers that they don't quite understand, and and I know ESPN gets a lot of flack just for for who they are and some of the businesses 
decisions that they've made. But this is actually, I think it's a really good tool, you know, and I've looked up the formula and, you know, it's, it's, it's probably one of the better ones out there in that it's play by play. They factor in garbage time, you know, they factor in strength of opponent. Uh, and I think it's really good. And they have Michigan as the number 11 team in the country. By the way, last season, they said Michigan was the number 18 team in the country and they predicted the Wolverines to go eight and four. So, so take that for what you will. Uh, but they predict them to be 11th in the country, but they also predict Michigan's going to have like the toughest schedule because they have five opponents in the top 12, number four, Ohio state, number five, Notre Dame, number eight, Penn state, number 10, Michigan state and number 12, Wisconsin, and Isaiah, curious, and, and oh, on top of that, before we get to the question, only one team they play, number 90 SMU, is outside the top 75. So, you know, pretty much every road game is going to be some sort of battle. And it, sounds like the, it seems like the Big Ten's really cleaning up its act. I'm looking at Maryland, Indiana, and Rutgers on that. And I think all three teams were outside the top 75 last year, but return some key pieces. So Isaiah, I guess what are, what is your thought about this schedule and how would you sort out is is Ohio State the toughest game and I and if it's not what is and and if it is what's a game that fans might be overlooking a little bit more than than they should. Well, it's it's hard not to look at Ohio State as anything but the toughest game. I mean, it they uh even though I don't think they've necessarily I know this sounds weird considering Michigan's lost to them, you know, at all but two years in the last unbelievable amount. Uh, but I don't think they've necessarily been the toughest game as far as on the field every year. But I think they at least deserve that. Um, obviously, Penn State present, presented a bigger issue for Michigan last year in their sole blowout of the entire season, uh, really of the last the sole blowout of uh, the last two seasons. But, uh, I mean, you're looking at some of these teams that look a little bit different uh, this next year, like Penn State. Um, Ohio State will obviously have a much different look. We, we we know what they looked like with Haskins at the helm this year, but we, we don't know what that's going to look like, you know, in more than coming in for a half, you know. He hadn't exactly gotten a lot of time, and if, if he's even the guy, who knows if uh, if they're going to bring in uh, Kate Martell? You know, if he's going to end up being the guy, I would I would assume it'd be Haskins. But I mean, the schedule is it is pretty daunting just for the sake that you have those three on the road. Uh, no, you know, Notre Dame. I'm not sure. I never really know what to think of them because. Even in their good years, it just seems like they like they just kind of somehow get there. Even when they were twelve and zero uh, a couple of years back, it really just didn't feel like they were like really truly an elite team. Yet you know, and Alabama kind of put them in their place in the national championship game. So I I do kind of wonder what you know what we'll see. It always seems like if they have a good year, it's followed by a kind of mediocre year. Um, Obviously, they got shellacked against uh, against Miami last year. I think that Michigan last year was at least on par with a team like Miami. Uh, so I'll be curious to see what that's like. But having those games on the road, obviously that's difficult. But having Wisconsin and Penn State at home, that's huge. 
uh, especially because of the different, you know, pieces that could be coming in, what, you know, potentially with the, uh, some of the, you know, the transfer that we know we have and some of them that we, we might have. So it's kind of hard to really say at this juncture, I know this is kind of a non-answer, but it's kind of hard to say like, yeah, you know, that's, that's spot on because there are just really way more questions than there are answers with Michigan right now. But I would bet that that's, Coming in at 11, I think that's about fair considering the amount of returning experience. I, I know they didn't have Michigan as, uh, as high as some other teams of returning experience, which seems kind of odd because they're really only losing, uh, you know, three guys, four, I guess, technically, uh, when you look at the quarterback position. Yeah, I think so. they counted quarterback and they weighted it a lot. So be curious if, you know, the whole. Well, I guess Patterson and Spate. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, yeah, but but and, oh, go ahead. I, I was gonna say it's kind of like what Steve said about Wilton with South Carolina. It, to the same thing, kind of looking back, I think Michigan would have been mu- much more like a nine and you know nine and three, you know ten and two regular season team if Spate would have stayed healthy. So that's just that's just you know my opinion there. But uh, so that does. That you know, looking forward, that quarterback position is going to be huge. So, yeah, Steve, I guess what were your thoughts? I, I this has got to be. I mean, you know, I, I had made this point on on the show today. You know, the Big Ten East, they got four top twelve teams. You just got to assume one of them is going to be kind of the odd team out this year. I don't think they're all going to jockey and go two and one or one and two again. I, I think I think there's. It's just—it's hard to imagine all four teams staying as strong as as they are in those preseason rankings. Uh, I guess what do you think of Michigan's schedule and 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 I guess the the preseason love for all those Big Ten East teams. Um. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I think the preseason love's warranted. I mean, it's hard not to look at Michigan's schedule and say it's not the toughest in the country. Uh, Northwestern won ten games last year. And yeah. Michigan has to go to Northwestern also. You know, I know they didn't beat really anybody necessarily of note, uh, but they gave Wisconsin a great game and they returned they return a bunch. You know, I know Clayton Thorson came back quarterback and Northwestern, I know Michigan always seems to find a way, but Northwestern's always given Michigan problems. So uh that game not really talked about a lot. Even again, I assume Maryland will be a victory, but Remember that they were playing their like what literally their fifth string quarterback. Yes, a walk on. Yeah, against Michigan, and they beat Texas on the road to begin the season last year. And again, isn't there another team that brings back? Uh, I want to say Damian Prince came back up front, offensive lineman. Uh, as you know, it looks like a pretty guy who's living up to his recruiting billing. I think he was a top 100 guy when he was recruited. Um, and they'll have those quarterbacks back. Uh, was it Pegram? Yeah, Kaysom, that, Kaysom Hill and Tyrell Pigrome. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yeah. So, you know, again, even on those weeks where you're like, and even Nebraska with Frost, um, you know, it's in Mich- it's in Ann Arbor. Right? You assume Michigan will win that game. But, again, I mean, even there, even the ones that you look at and say, oh, man, that should be a win, aren't the pushovers that you would think. I mean, let's compare it to, because I pulled these up because I just want to be a jerk. 
like how jo- much of a joke schedule Georgia plays this year compared to Michigan. Um, Austin P, Middle Tennessee, <laughs> they Missouri. I mean, I know Missouri rebounded at the end of the year last year. Uh, Tennessee, the first year coach, Vandy, LSU. Who knows what LSU is with Orgeron? Florida has a new head coach. Kentucky, you know, they play Auburn and LSU. I mean, Georgia Tech, they've beaten Georgia Tech like the last 12 years or something. And then they get yeah. their they get their November bye week when they play UMass. So you can like you just look at those two schedules next to each other and it's like it's night and day. I mean, Michigan's schedule is brutal compared to that. I mean, you could pretty much pencil Georgia into the final four already, in my opinion. I mean, with the talent they have, with what they bring back. I know they graduate a few guys, but I mean they're so they have so much talent on their roster. I mean, it'd take a, it'd be a pretty big letdown if they didn't, I mean, what, maybe Auburn in, but they get them at home where they probably wouldn't, would not be double digit favorites, maybe at LSU. I mean, they could, they could easily be double digit favorites in every other game they play this year. Michigan, meanwhile. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know which of the four teams, I think Penn state is going to be the popular choice as far as team that will drop off a little bit. Well, because they lose the big names, yeah. Right. They lose Barkley, and then they lose Moorhead. But they and Jasicki and Hamilton and, and whoever right. their receiver's coach was, yeah. Right. Gaddis. I mean, they, but they mix, again, perpetually underrated Trace McSorley uh, is, is back, and their offense, at least schematically, didn't really seem to lose much of a beat. Um, again, I know, you, like you said, they lose a couple of those receivers, Gasicki and uh, Hamilton, but... Heck, man, Juwan Johnson looks like a future stud for them. Yeah, they bring in they bring in Justin Shorter, uh, a true freshman who, in my opinion, was the best receiver in that class. So he's a guy that can make an instant impact too. So, um, you know, but I do kind of feel like they'll be the popular, you know, because Michigan State brings back almost like literally almost everybody. I mean, they're not. It's hard to see them reverting backwards. I mean, I think they're going to be they're going to be tough, uh, no matter you know. And Michigan has to go to East Lansing there. So, um, and then Ohio State's Ohio State. Uh, I I I think there's a real chance that their offense will be more effective with Haskins at quarterback than it. You know, it's weird because Barrett put up such good numbers in his career, but it always seemed like it still always seemed like Ohio State like just was never really fully clicking offensively. Uh, outside, there'd be a, they'd show flashes like the, when they beat the heck out of Michigan State. You know, they were like. A well-oiled machine but really I mean there was nothing about their offense against Michigan that was particularly uh impressive you know outside of a few chance plays which kind of always seems to be the way they end up winning that game but um so yeah I mean it's just it's a gauntlet in my opinion I mean that's that's a tough schedule Nebraska Northwestern Maryland Wisconsin State Penn State Rutgers Indiana Ohio State I mean that's you know Indiana's been a close game even like the last you know, a few years. So, you know, it's just, uh, it's going to be tough, man. It's one, of, it could be one of those situations where the team is like way, way better, but their record will like only partially reflect it. I mean, could easily see three losses, even bringing back all the experience they have. And that's, you know, let's see what happens with Patterson too. Yeah. And I'm trying to, I'm looking at like other playoff contending schedules and it's like Alabama. It's like if they can beat Texas A&M at home and they can beat Auburn at home, they're going to be 12-0. and 0. You know, they're not right. losing at Tennessee. They're not losing at Arkansas. You know, they're not losing, you know, here and there. Washington, I think they... Oh, 
Washington's got a tough one. They, they're the outlier. They've got to play Stanford and Auburn. And then that's really it, though. It's like no one, no one has like four or five teams that they have to, they have to survive. You know, there's, it's, it's, and as you said, you know, the bottom of the Big Ten looks a little better than it has in the past. That fifteen one million, fifty one million dollars a year paycheck for facilities, starting to work in in the Big Ten's favor. You know, you're looking at Purdue and uh, Maryland and some other schools are starting to starting to pick up what they can do. Uh, real quick, since we had these questions last week, we got asked about Michigan's record with with or without Patterson, with or without Newsom, with or without Calvin Anderson. Uh, we don't need to do that, but I'm curious how those three players in your eyes re- reflect what Michigan's ranking, pre- let's say the FPI right now, they're 11th. You know, how much higher up do you move them up with Patterson? How much higher up do you move them with Newsom, Anderson? Any combination, uh, I guess. Isaiah, we'll start with you. You know how do how do those potential decisions? How much of a factor can those be, and what what Michigan's floor and ceiling might be this season? I mean, if you get all three of those, and assuming that uh, Newsom is, you know, shows at least a similar trajectory from where he was, you know, before injury, I mean, you, you can basically move them up at least halfway you know you could definitely get them up to like five six seven range um just looking at each player really quickly i mean shay patterson was the best quarterback obviously uh in the year that he was the you know that he came out of high school uh i think he he's definitely got heisman contender written on him you know so that's already potentially an 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 upgrade on Peters, but I do, I don't think that that necessarily is a knock on Peters. I do think Peters has the experience factor uh, and he has the talent. Um, I think that the Outback Bowl was a little bit of an outlier for him, but we'll see. Uh, But just as importantly and even more importantly is having those two anchors on the outside, Newsom and Anderson, because that's, to me, I know Steve said that quarterback play is to, to him. Number one, the, uh, the biggest issue coming out of 20, 2017 or in the, in 2017, rather, uh, to me, it was still the, it, it was still the offensive line at on the right side, particularly at the tackle situation, because I felt like that was a big reason why the quarterback play suffered, even when it, when it, you know, there was being held up a little bit better. Juwan Bushel Bay did a lot better at you, even in pass, uh, protection as the, uh, as the season went on, but uh, it, it still kind of felt like the quarterbacks were running for their, their lives, and in many ways they actually were when you look at uh, the fact that Peters was knocked out again and everything. But, uh, I mean, that that proves a huge difference. If you can actually protect the quarterback and have a quarterback that can make a read and a throw, I know that's, that's asking for a lot, but at the same time, that's really pretty much the only thing that's missing for Michigan, the run game did have its moments where it suffered, but it, it it could have been a lot better if there was a passing game that could be respected. And Michigan didn't have that at all last year. Defense is as solid as they come. Uh, number number three in the nation overall, despite having to be on the field as much as they were, despite having a really really young group all across the board. 
I mean, it, it really can't get much better than that. You you just get an offense that can kind of do something, and Michigan could be dangerous really, really quickly. Yeah. Steve? And and I actually I realized, because there's that potential for Wilton Spade, if Patterson is ineligible, I guess, I, you know, and you don't have to give exact numbers because obviously this is all hypotheticals, but what of those four, I guess, what, what is the potential uh, ascension and, and, and potential regression up and down that kind of preseason expectations uh, that, that you see? Offensively? Yeah, they're all offensive players. Yeah, but overall as a team, I guess. Right, no. I mean, they stunk at tackle and they stunk at quarterback last year. So if you turn those into huge positives, which I think, I mean, you could argue, I think we've said this a few times, that if a healthy Grant Newsom in 2016 is the best offensive lineman on that roster, he looked, he was mm. already beginning to look like he was. Think about this. Like I, I think this is another thing we mentioned, but go back and watch the games where Newsom was healthy and then watch the games where he was out after he was out and see how little Michigan ran screens after he was so mobile and so imposing on the edge. Um, I think he graded out as the best offensive lineman in three of the five games that he played. You know, when they always tweet out whoever was the highest graded player at whatever position after every game. Uh and then you had Calvin Anderson, which I know the the pro football focus stats, um, not even their grades, like just actual like stats as far as like the the limited amount of pressures. Yeah, allowed seven and two hundred and thirty six snaps. Yeah, yeah, that's pressures too, not sacks. Like that's just pressures. So you put that in there, you put that in the game, and you get Shea Patterson eligible with what he can do. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, just because here's the you know, like. Receiver, history shows that Michigan's receiving core should take a huge step forward next year. You could already start to see it with Peoples-Jones, who, again, you hit him when he's open, his stat line is totally different, and the the expectations are probably through the roof for him this year. Um, you know, how many times did they miss him on an open, whether it was down the field or whatever? You know, I mean, he was maybe – he was maybe a bigger victim of poor quarterback play than any single player on the roster because he was getting open by the end of the season, especially. So, um, and Tariq black may have walked onto campus and been the best receiver on the team. I mean, he was the best receiver against Florida when he was healthy. He looked like it in the spring game too. Right. So, uh, so history says the receiver should take a huge step forward. So you bring back four very capable interior linemen, you know, with Spinellis emerging in the bowl game, you put two, you know, because tack. It's it's really it's we're kind of in the same spot. Tackle and quarterback are the big questions right now. The the difference is is there are like potentially game changing answers out there. It's just don't nobody knows if Michigan, you know what I mean? Like the, the, we don't know what the answers are going to be. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you're you're taking a huge negative and and all of a sudden it turns into a huge positive, and. Uh, the one like of the three, I think the one that you can't undersell enough is if Newsom really is healthy enough to play. Because if he's truly healthy enough, you know, and and he's able to camp and get back into the swing of things, man, that'd be a huge asset for them. Uh, and if if somebody was to beat him out, if he was healthy, that would be a great sign as well that that their young guys are progressing. So 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's a pretty easy question. I probably shouldn't have spent so much time answering it. I mean, it's just those three that two, even two of those three would have a massive impact yes. on, on Michigan yeah. in 2017 or 18. Yeah, I think I, and, and to me, if I think Patterson's the big fish, you know, five star potential first round draft pick kind of quarterback. So if you get him, I think you're instantly, you know, say you're 11, 12, somewhere in the top 15. I think with Patterson, you're instantly, you know, right up there with Ohio State and Penn State kind of in that four to eight range. And I think if you get, I think if you get both offensive linemen, I think you are a top five team. You would be on my preseason ballot as a top five team, which sounds wild. But I mean, as you said, I mean, if the floor at tackle is a healthy Grant Newsome and Calvin Anderson, I mean, that's, that's the best their floor at tackle will have been in, in a long time, you know, and it's, it's, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's Calvin Anderson would have been Michigan's best, even adjusted to strength of schedule. He would have been Michigan's best offensive lineman in pass blocking last season. And, you know, Grant Newsom, as you said, you can make a case he was in the same boat. So it just raised your ceiling. Uh, I think Patterson's a big one. I think even if if they don't get Patterson and Spate does return, I still think they're probably a top 10 team in in my eyes heading into the season. If they get neither, uh, then I, I think, you know, then then you could still talk me into the Michigan being a good team, but I think there's more question marks about it because as, as Steve said so eloquently, they stunk at quarterback and they stunk at tackle. You know, it's just, I mean, that's what held them back last season. And, and so without an obvious answer, it's hard to judge what Michigan's going to do right now. But let's switch to, let's switch to basketball real quick uh, before we go, because they are having, it's starting to heat up. I remember last year, this is about the time when, when people started getting pretty into Michigan basketball, they were going on that little bit of a, a run and Michigan did more of its work early on in the season this year. So we don't have to have drama about whether they'll make the tournament. They're 21 and 7. They're 10 and 5 in the Big 10. You know, they, they might not win all three of these next 3 games, but uh, you know, if they go 22 and 9, they're they got to be in. There's no way that they wouldn't be in in that situation. They might already have locked up a bid now. I mean, they're currently projected about a 7 seed. You know, it's hard to I don't think they're going to fall that far, even if they lose. That said, they also have a chance for some really, really, really big wins at Maryland, at Penn State, and against Ohio State. All three will be quadrant one games, meaning that uh, that will it's that's the new top fifty wins in the NCAA team sheets. So it's you know winning it, it adds a little bit of leniency for road games. You know, understanding that road games are harder than than home games, which is sounds kind of dumb that they just thought of that in twenty in twenty eighteen. But anyway, uh, big big potential February ahead, and then they get like two weeks off before the tournament. So curious, curious. Uh, you know, Steve, we we're talking before the show about the X factor and and you know what player out of anybody. If they start playing better than they are right now, 
you know, whether it's, you know, whether it's a bench player kind of being able to, to contribute every game, whether it's a starter kind of becoming a star or a, or a key player or however you want to interpret it, which player, you know, ascending or, or being an outlier or doing something that they haven't done all season elevates Michigan's season the most. Cause we've seen Michigan is a team that can win at Michigan state and they can, they were up 20 at Ohio state and they really hung with Purdue twice. So we've seen that they can be at that level, but it's, it's about being at that level when the time comes. And I think a loss to Northwestern lost to Nebraska, I think showed that they're not, they're not a finished product yet. You know, they're still, they're not a machine yet. They're not what, where they, they want to be yet. So which player, and I know who it is, but which player do you have circled as the guy who, if it starts to click for him, Michigan's Michigan kind of becomes a limitless team. I almost so you called me a what like a message board like which is like the biggest insult you could have possibly given me when we were oh about message this. border um, no it's just for that yeah, one line I, yeah I know I know I know um I almost went back and forth on this though because I I just I, I guess I got like Charles Matthews is very frustrating to watch just from strictly a basketball standpoint um it there's like these ten second periods of time where he just like seems to lose consciousness of what's going on on the floor. And Bambi on skates like, continues to sit in my head as beeline right, beeline offered that description. It's wildly accurate. Right. I agree. Yeah. And, and so it's because like, I guess the frustrating part when you're watching him is you can see the mis- bad mistakes like coming before he even makes them almost. Uh, I, I think a more consistent, just more consistent offensive play from him, I think, is because he's that he's that one guy that has some of the abilities that Michigan hasn't had in a really long time. Uh, say the closest thing to Glenn Robinson, would we say? Yeah, I mean, I would almost think of him as more of like a Tim Hardaway. But right, yeah, yeah, I think, but but I don't think. I mean, Hardaway became that maybe when he got to the, but in the college oh, game. Oh, yeah, yeah, just like that freak more, athlete. Yeah. Yeah, Hardaway was much more of a spot up, was much more of a shooter in college. I think he's developed a lot more of his game in the NBA. But Robinson was kind of that guy, you know, like even last night, how many re- rebounds did, did Matthews have? Nine, ten? I mean, didn't he, did he end up in double digits? Uh, I think I he only ended 12. up with eight. But, okay. I mean, you saw I mean, you saw his, I mean, he's just out-rebounding guys who were six foot right. 11 right next to him. Right. And that's he just and Robinson could shoot it from the outside, but he could he was so effective slashing to the basket. And I think Matthews is uh is that is the kind of guy that will open everything up more than anybody else on the team. Is the guy that could open everything else up for everybody else. You know, get Duncan Robinson open, which he's starting to play his best basketball at the right time of the season. Uh, Wagner doing his thing. I mean, Wagner's quietly been awesome lately. I don't really think it's been talked about enough. Uh, he's been great. There will be the a story year. coming because okay, he's averaging yeah. over 17 points a game in February. Yeah. And, and like, like nine rebounds a game. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say he's almost averaged a double digit rebound. So, um, you know, but then at the same time, it's like the common thread in every great John Beeline team has been great point guard play. And 
I know we gave Simpson some love a few games ago. Uh, and just remove the free throw stuff, you know, whatever. I know that's an issue, but not what I'm kind of getting at here. But he's really kind of been all in all somewhat invisible offensively the last two or three games. Uh, you know, Simmons played the most minutes he's played all year yesterday, right? I mean, had to have been in a, in, a, in a long time. And the key, the thing is that it's been zone for some reason. Xavier Simpson, he was the zone beater early on in the season, but I don't know if I think he's struggling a little bit with his jump shot and that's I mean that's the fastest way for a point guard to break the zone is you know right. shoot right over it so well, especially him because yeah. teams don't really still aren't respecting his ability to shoot it from the outside you know so um so it's it, to me it's got to be one of those two guys uh, I think I love the whole you know Robinson hits six three-pointers yesterday and you get a lot of the Michigan's a different team when he's hitting and it's like yeah any team is going to be a different team when their best shooter is shooting like 65. Yeah, six for eight is not. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but yeah. the last couple of games, it's like they're different when Duncan Robinson. It's like, yeah, if if Grayson Allen goes eight for 10, like Duke's a different team when Grayson Allen's shooting 80% from three point land. You know, it's like, that's just common sense. I'm thinking more, you want to, you know, get to the final four. Uh, I think Matthews has to just be more consistent in his decision making. And, yeah, Simpson needs to be more of a threat in the offensive end because his defense is so valuable. You know, it's like Simmons is, like, not there enough defensively, in my opinion, you know, unless he keeps progressing to – you know Beeline wants Simpson to be the guy to seize the job. And yeah. It's got to be, you know, because he's because he adds so much in the defensive end, you know, so, so yeah. Yeah, well, I will make the case for Duncan Robinson, and not just because I, I was the first one to find this stat. A lot of people have written about it since, but – uh, Michigan is 18 and 0 now when Duncan Robinson scores six or more points, and and like a lot of these stats are really cherry picked. But I thought Fran McCaffrey had a had an interesting quote about Robinson last night and said basically his team's philosophy is if Robinson hits one, they have to guard him completely differently. They wait they wait until he hits one because he'll have those nights where he'll be like one for five or zero oh for four or whatever from deep. But once he hits one and they know that he's on, they have to guard him completely differently. And and I saw it against Wisconsin. It's like Robinson hit a couple in the first half and and suddenly, you know, Muhammad Ali Abdul Rahman, he doesn't have that six foot ten power forward that they have, Nate Ravers, Roivers or whatever it is. They don't he's not there. He has to be out on the on the perimeter guarding Robinson. And not every team is is operates like that with the second forward but you know if Tyler Cook's suddenly not in the paint because he's got a trail Robinson or he's got a trail Wagner it's like you know the whole the whole offense you know you talk about Matthews opening things up I mean they both can open each other up and so I think I think him being a double digit scorer the rest of the way is is such a plus because they were I mean they you know the games against Purdue it's like they were in it and Robinson didn't even score five points because he couldn't, he couldn't be on the court against, you know, it, it just he wasn't making his shots, and then on the defensive end, he was a liability against Vince Edwards and against Ohio State. You know, they were in it, and he shot one for seven. If he shot three for seven, they probably win that game because of the of the dynamics, and and you know, Ohio State doesn't have that free throw pull away that they did, and it, it was kind of a close game up until then. So to me, if he does. You know, if he shoots forty percent the rest of the way, 
you know, Michigan ceiling just just goes high. You know, obviously, if he shoots six for eight, Michigan's not going to lose to a lot of college basketball teams. But they're even if he's team. they're a different team, right? Doing it offensively. <laughs> so so that that part's obvious. But even at forty percent, I think I think it's a little different. The other guy I would give is uh is is Jordan Poole, and he's kind of a obvious one. But he's quietly struggling. I think he's three for his last eighteen shooting. Uh, he's you know is his ever since they did the pool party, which you totally could have predicted, a freshman bench player getting a whole stadium to dress differently because of it, you know, have a little holiday for him that goes straight to anyone's head. It goes straight to my head. So I, you know, and I don't, I don't think he's necessarily a, a, you know, big ego issue kind of guy, but you know, I think, I think he suddenly missed a couple and then it got a little bit in his head that he feels the obligation to do this or that, but he is such a gifted playmaker. Uh, And I think I've said it on the podcast. He's like, He's like, you know, him playing basketball is like one of those Street Fighter uh, video games where it's like you have he has like an eight button combo picked out as soon as he gets the ball. It's going to be like jab step, crossover, head fake, spin move, you know, wide open mid range jumper or something of that nature. You know, he's he's just got stuff picked out. And if he can come in and, and drop like 15 points for Michigan against Ohio State on Sunday. I just do not see Michigan losing that game. If if you can get that kind of production, I'd say the same thing for Isaiah Livers. The only reason I don't is that I think he's, at least for this season, I think he's more of a just go through the motions, make a lot of smart decisions. You know, he's not gonna. I don't. I don't have him pegged as a potential go off for fifteen points guy. I think he's just someone who needs to play good defense. Get a couple key rebounds. Like I think he's going to be like Mister Underrated for the rest of this season. But I, you know, and so it's, in that case, he's not like a ceiling raising X factor. Anyway, anyway, just to give you guys a, a little refresher for Michigan, you know, twenty one and seven, ten and five in the Big Ten. Uh, we, I think the cliche that we started using in this podcast is they're ahead of schedule. You know, so now their goal is not. It's not to, you know, make the tournament. It's not to look like one of those dangerous teams in March. It's to, you know, be a team that's ready to make a Elite Eight run. You know, it's ready for a second weekend. That's ready for a Big Ten tournament in New York in a couple weeks. So we'll see what they can do. I think they've shown that they can be right there with Michigan State, Ohio State, and Purdue. And those teams have shown they can be with anybody in the country. So I guess we'll see. Uh, also having a big weekend is Michigan hockey. And basically I, I was going to do like a story outlining their NCAA tournament chances. Basically they can't lose to Arizona state in two weeks and they, they need, they probably need a win this weekend against Notre Dame. If they get swept, then yet the look at that big 10 tournament is kind of a, a pivotal thing, but really this weekend, I mean, they, they hung really close with Notre Dame uh, about a month and a half ago. They arguably outplayed them, and so this week is a is a week where they can really make a statement. Because I think if they win one, they're suddenly in the driver's seat for the NCAA tournament. That Sunday game, probably the best chance to do so at Yoast. Going to be a sellout. Going to be a packed crowd. And you know, if Hayden Levine comes together, if if the defensemen continue, I mean, the defensemen have been quietly really good, and then. 
you know, maybe your first line uh, steps up, De- you know, Dexter Danks, Cooper Rohde, to- Tony Calderon, if they step up as well as the fourth liners and the third liners and the second line, you know, they, they, they can. They're not out of it. They won't be out of anything. And so they get to prove this is their, this is their potential over-the-hump weekend for Mel Pearson in his first season. This is that weekend where they can, you know, they've been quietly climbing up the pairwise. I think they're 14 right now, maybe 15. You probably want to be 12 or 13 to be in. This is where they can get into that driver's seat. Anyway, that's going to do it for the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed the talk. A little bit of hockey. Obviously, if they if they win and they keep going in the in the tournaments, uh, they'll get lots of lots of discussion. Basketball will increase each week. Football took over this week because a couple news and notes things that came out. But obviously, uh, we'll always talk football and recruiting when we can on this podcast. For Steve Lorenz and Isaiah Hole, I'm Zach Shaw. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something, and we'll see you next.